have your Bible today, uh, please open to the book of Philippians. We'll be in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 1 in just a moment. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. And today we're going to begin a new series, and I'm afraid I don't have a clever or catchy title for it, but we're going to work our way through the whole book of Philippians, beginning to end, verse by verse. And of course, we're not going to do this all in one day. We will spread out over several weeks. Um, but over the over the next, like I said, several weeks, we're going to be looking at this uh, bit by bit. And it's been quite a while since we've done something like this. In fact, as I began to uh, prepare for this message, prepare for this series, I began thinking about how long it had been since I had worked through a whole book uh, with you guys as a church, and I was surprised at how long it had been. Of course, I've done other series since, uh, since you know, in, in the meantime. But unless I was, unless I'm mistaken, I look look back at some of my sermons. I think the last time that I preached all the way through a book, beginning to end, was in 2011. So it's been quite some time. And then I preached through First John. But uh, so we're we're definitely overdue for this type of a series. And usually when I preach, what I do is I say a few introductory things, and then we spend most of our time in the text. But today is going to be kind of flip flop. We're going to spend most of the time in the introduction because I'm going to try and set the stage for you a bit for the book as a whole, but also for the text that we're going to look at. And then when we get to the text, we're going to look at it just very briefly, almost in bullet form. Now, for me, the introduction uh, is actually pretty fascinating because I don't know if you're like this, but a lot of times when I read the Bible, in my, in my mind, because they're in different books and different, you know, it's kind of spread out, sometimes I don't connect the dots. Does anybody else do that? Like you read the book of Acts and, and all these different places we read about, Paul going to Troas and Macedonia and uh, Samothrace and all these all these big words and I don't know where they are without getting the map out and looking at it and so I, I see uh, the book of Acts over here and then I'll read the book of Philippians over here and the book of Galatians over here and Corinth over here and I don't necessarily make all the connections and I think that other people are like that too and so hopefully some of this introduction is gonna is gonna make the Bible not so disconnected for you okay because sometimes we read in chunks and we don't pull those things together. And so hopefully, like I said, you're going to hear some things and be reminded of some things that you've read in the past. Maybe you've stayed in Sunday school. You've, you've stayed in your own Bible study. But maybe you've not made the connections of how they are related to one another. So Paul is writing to some Philippian Christians. Now, Philippians uh, gets its name because the Christians lived in the city of Philippi. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony, and it was the capital of the district of Macedonia. Now, because the type of colony that it was, there were a lot of Roman soldiers that retired there, and it got to, it got to have a, a bit of prestige with it because of uh, some of the things that happened in its history. But it was a very Gentile place, and Judaism didn't really play a very big role in the community's life. And in fact, Philippi did not even have a synagogue. Instead, they had an open-air place of prayer down by a nearby river. Now, in Acts chapter 16, here's where we're going to start making some connections. In Acts chapter 16, Paul receives what we usually call the Macedonian vision. Maybe Does anybody remember that from your, maybe your Sunday school days? When, uh, when Paul had this vision of a Macedonian man standing and appealing to him, come help us. You remember this? And so Paul and Timothy and Silas and presumably Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and maybe some others concluded that God wanted them to go to Macedonia and spread the Gospel. Now when they got there, they made their way to Philippi because it is the capital city. And they stayed there for some time. On the Sabbath in the city of Philippi, they went down to this place of prayer that I spoke about a moment ago, this open-air place of prayer by a river. 
And there they met some women who were there praying. So Paul and his companions sat down. They began to talk to him, share the gospel with him. And there was a woman who was very interested in what they had to say, a woman by the name of Lydia. Do you remember this? She was a seller of purple. And so she became a Christian, as did the rest of her household. Now, as they were staying there in the city for a while, they kept coming in contact with a demon-possessed slave girl. And every time this slave girl would see uh, Paul and, and his companions, she began to cry out, and she'd make a big fuss, saying, uh, these are servants of the Most High God, and, and just making a big stir. Now, her job as a slave girl was actually to make money for her masters by fortune-telling. She was demon-possessed, and she was making her masters very rich. Well, she began to cry out and, and really annoy Paul, and he cast the demon out, which was good for her. But her masters now had lost their cash cow. So they got very upset, and they dragged Paul and Silas to the marketplace, convinced the authorities that they lied about and falsely accused them. The authorities had them severely beaten and thrown into prison. Paul and Silas are in prison, and about midnight they're praying and singing hymns. Hopefully some of this is familiar to you. They're praying and singing hymns. The other prisoners are, are listening. An earthquake happens. The bonds fall off. All the doors open. The Philippian jailer comes in, sees all the doors are open. He thinks all the prisoners have escaped. I'm going to be put to death. So he goes to kill himself. Paul stops him, and the man says, What must I do to be saved, essentially? Paul shares the gospel with him, and he and his household get saved as well. Paul and Silas end up getting released the next day, and so they go back, speak to the new Christians in the city, and a church is begun in the city of Philippi. Okay, so this is on this missionary journey. This is where the church in Philippi begins. Now, Paul and his companions go on to preach and teach in other cities, and between him leaving this, this brand-new church and the letter to the Philippians that we're going to start today is a span of about 10 years. And in that, in that span of about 10 years, Paul goes through Macedonia two more times, stops at Philippi two more times, and on his third visit, when he stopped, he's very ill. And he's concerned about the, uh, the churches, probably the Corinthians and Galatian churches. And presumably, while he's there at Philippi, he recovers, possibly under the care of Luke, who is a physician. So... So he's at Philippi, spent all this time. He started a new church. Presumably they're, they're probably caring for him while he's ill. And this helps explain some of, these, some of these warm feelings that he has towards the Philippian Christians that we're going to see in just a little bit. So fast forward just a few more years. Now, ten years after the, the church has started, Paul writes the letter to the Philippians. And when he writes this, he is under house arrest in the city of Rome. Now, if, if you're familiar with some of the things that Paul did and, and how he got there, uh, you know, you can go back to the book of Acts and look at that. We're not going to cover all that today. But as he was under house arrest, he could receive visitors and he could send and receive letters and took advantage of that. So this was a, a, a trying time for him physically, spiritually, but also financially. Now, we, we've all heard about how, how difficult it is for us to finance the, uh, the jail system in this country, right? Well, Rome had a solution to that. What they made Paul do... He was under house arrest. He had to pay rent for the house in which he was incarcerated. He had to pay his own way to be in jail. And not only that, but he had to pay for the guards to be there that were guarding him to keep him in the house that he was paying for. So it was, it was a difficult time uh, spiritually, financially, and, uh, and, and physically. 
And so the Philippians heard about his struggles, and they sent him a financial contribution with a man named Epaphroditus. He was one of their, one of their members, uh, possibly one of their elders. Sent that with uh, Epaphroditus to encourage him and to give him this financial gift. On the trip, Epaphroditus gets very ill, which we're going to uh, cover in, in future weeks. So what we have before us is Paul's thank you letter to the Philippians. Okay, that's a, that's a big introduction, right? But whenever we, whenever we read this, realize that Paul is writing back to say thank you. He's, he's writing to say uh, to, to encourage them. And, and it's, it's just a very warm correspondence from him to them. Now, as we begin in, in chapter 1, uh, we get a lot of the introductory, you know, uh, grace and peace to you and so on and so forth. But the thing I want you to see today is the difference that the gospel makes. The difference the gospel makes. Paul says, God who began a good work in them... Uh, he, he, he began a good work when he saved them. He is going to complete it. He's going to keep working on that. He's going to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to, he's going to transform them through time. And, and I want you to see some of the changes and some of the works that God does in the lives of believers. And then apply that to yourself and, and see if it's true of you. So if you found Philippians 1, if you would, stand honor God's word. We're going to pick up in verse 1 and read down to verse 11. Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it, is not, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, of, of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thank you. you. may be seated. As I said before, the main thing that I want you to see is the difference the gospel makes. Now, recently I, I talked about the gospel and what the gospel was, and so we're not going to spend just a whole lot of time here because uh, you can refer back to, to an earlier message to get that. But just kind of, just kind of a, a real brief summary, what is the gospel? The gospel, objectively, and this is a big word, is the propitiatory work of Christ on the cross where he satisfied the wrath of God towards the sin of his people. On, on top of that, it also uh, talks about the, the, the perfect righteousness that he had because, God, or because Jesus fulfilled the, the law of God perfectly. See, God has, God has standards, and all of us fail. But Jesus didn't. He fulfilled those things perfectly. And so that's the objective side of it. But the subjective side is how those things, uh, how those benefits are applied to the life of God's people. And that is on the, on the basis of faith alone. He took our place on the cross, and his righteousness is credited to us. So that when God sees us, he doesn't see us with our own righteousness, but with the righteousness that comes from Christ. And so this gospel is powerful and it's life-changing. And, and Paul, here in our text today, is rightly confident that God would change their hearts and lives because that's what the gospel does. 
the gospel does not leave us the same way that it encounters us. So as we look at some of the changes that God makes in believers' lives, I would ask you to, to examine your own life and say, is this true of me as well? Because these are things that God does in the life of every believer. The first change that I want you to see is that it caused them to participate in the gospel. It caused them to participate in the gospel. Look again at verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, what does it mean that they participated in the gospel? It means they took part in it. The word translated as participated also is translated elsewhere as fellowship. Now, when we as Baptists hear fellowship, we get chills up our spine, don't we? I mean, we think of fellowship in terms of food. And, and that makes us all happy and, and joyful when we think of, of a casserole or, or a crock pot. But listen, uh, fellowship, biblically speaking, is much broader than food. It, it means that they took part in the gospel. They were changed by it. They were influenced by it. And they supported its work. So what happens when the gospel changes the heart, when, when, when we are influenced by it and when we, when we are changed by it? We're going back to our brief definition of what the gospel is. The gospel takes us from being rebels against God and makes us part of his family. See, the Bible says that we're all sinners. We're all in rebellion against God. We all run from him rather than run to him. And just like our first parents in the Garden of Eden, we don't want to have anything to do with him. You remember in the Garden of Eden after, after Adam sinned and Eve sinned? It says that, that, that God, came to, God came to the Garden and what did they do? They hid themselves. They tried, to, they tried to run from God, and that's what we do naturally before we're Christians. We want to run away from God. But the gospel message changes all that. When we respond with repentance and faith, God takes us from the kingdom of darkness and puts us into the kingdom of light. We're adopted into his family. A second change that, that God works in the hearts of believers is that of loving the saints. Look again at verse 9. He says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Love will characterize the lives of believers. Now, I'm not talking about a sentimental, gushy type of love, but I'm talking about a forgiving, long-suffering, seeking the best, uh, the the, the well-being of the other person. That's the kind of love that I'm talking about. The Apostle John, whenever he was writing in 1 John, said in 1 John 1, verse 7, But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Same book, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The one who says he is in the light, the one who professes to be a Christian, and yet hates his brother, is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Later on, the same book, chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. He causes us to love one another. And let's face it, Christians, sometimes we're a difficult lot to love, aren't we? You, you, you've probably been around some Christians who are, who are difficult to love, but, but the love of God, when, when, it's, when, it, when, when he adopts us into his family, we will love one another. A third way God changes us is by creating a desire to support the gospel financially. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but the word participate has the idea of supporting and contributing towards. In this case, financially. It speaks of a contribution. Now, we know later on in this letter, Paul talks about that very thing precisely. These people helped him out 
financially. Paul was in the midst of spreading the gospel, and they contributed to that end. And listen, the gospel changes all aspects of our lives, even the way that we spend our money. Now, someone has said, I think it's C.S. Lewis, but I wouldn't swear to it. Somebody has said that they can tell anybody's priorities by looking at the check registry. I just want you to consider that. We can tell anyone's priorities by looking at their check registry. You might say credit card statements if you don't use checks. But I wonder if, if somebody didn't know you, didn't know, didn't know how often you went to church, didn't know that you did Bible school, didn't know that you did this, that, and the other, if they looked at, at the way that you spent your money, what would they say your priority is? Only you can answer that. But, but it, it, it will change a person's heart. Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be as well. These Philippians were concerned about Paul and the gospel, and it showed in their actions. And so they participated by contributing. Next, they suffered for Christ's sake. Now, we, don't, we didn't read it, but if you have your Bible open, and I would encourage you to do that throughout the whole sermon, if you look at verses 28 to 30, he, said, uh, he, he says, In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. Um, for, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to what? Suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now uh, here to be in me. These people were suffering for Christ's sake. And, and quite possibly, that initial beating that Paul and Silas received in the marketplace, that may have been the beginning of hostilities in the city of Philippi towards Christians. These people were following Christ and they were suffering because of it. And God gave them the grace to endure. And finally, it makes the change of continuing sanctification in our lives. That means God, God shapes us to make us more like Jesus. Look again at verses 10 and 11. It says that he prays so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Now I want you that, that sincere and blame. Think about being blameless. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As I said before, God doesn't leave us in the condition that we are when we get saved. He changes us from the inside out. We'll never become sinless in this life, but, but we should strive to, be, to, to sin less. He transforms us to make us more blameless. He talks about the fruit of righteousness. I think about the, the book of Galatians. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. There's a little song you can sing to remember all the fruit, parts of the fruit. God works that into our lives. He changes us. He, he changes our wants and desires. Now, now listen, if you can continue in unrepentant, uh, unrepentant sin, that should give you serious pause and, and cause you to question whether or not you're truly a believer. And maybe you're here and, and, and you're, you're wondering about the state of your soul. I can't see into your heart. Only God knows what's going on in your heart. But what I can do is I can point you to some things that the Bible says God does in the believer's heart and lives unless you make the application. Do you love Christians? As I said before, we are a tough lot to love sometimes. Do you support the work of the gospel with 
more than words? Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Is God changing your heart? Sometimes it's just little by little. But those are all evidences that you're a believer. Now somebody might say, well, you know what? Those things are true to me, Pastor, but I've got an awful long way to go. You ever get frustrated by your lack of progress? You don't have to raise your hand. I do. I get, I get frustrated by my lack of progress and sanctification to be more Christ-like. Well, listen, the fact that God is in the process of changing us means that we're already His. It, it means that He's working in our lives to will and to do of His good pleasure. What does verse 6 say? Look at what it says again. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus, until he returns. God's the one that's at work in your lives. Cooperate with him. But I wonder as we, as we think about this, is there an area that you've been resisting God? Is there some area that, that he's been leading you in some way, that he's, been, he's laid it on your heart to do such and such a thing, but you just haven't done it? You've, you've resisted him. You've, you've, you've rebelled against him. You've, you've drugged your feet. Maybe it's an area of service. Maybe he's calling you to some sort of ministry. Maybe you need to, to reconcile with somebody. As I said, I don't know anybody's heart, but maybe you're here and you've never responded positively to the gospel. You've heard the gospel, but, but you've, you've always rejected it. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe, and you'll be saved. Watch, stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, as you bow your heads and close your eyes. God makes some changes in the life of every child of God. And I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect. Paul later says, not that I've not that I've arrived, not that I've achieved it yet. Even the Apostle Paul had room to grow. I have room to grow and so do you. Resisting God today? Are you kicking against the goads, as he said to, to Saul on the Damascus Road? Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you make a change in each of our lives. And Lord, we know it's a glorious truth that you don't leave us the way that we are. God, I know that even in the midst of even in the midst of weakness, in the midst of a of, of poor preaching, you can still speak to us. God, I ask that you would speak to each one in the way
whether they need. Lord, if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ, I pray that you would let them see their need today and become your child. We ask these things in Jesus' name.